Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Wasn't that good? Man, that was awesome. I could, I, I could have you guys lead the service all year long. That was just great, man. Uh, excellent job. Um, on, on Thursday of this past week, uh, well, let me say this first. If you're not in James 3, we're going to be there this morning. James 3, 13 through 18. And uh, while you're turning now, I'll just say a couple of things. Uh, we went to Caswell about five minutes from where our, our uh, house was. We were staying at the beach this past week, and we went and visited the group. And, you know, you never know what you're going to find when you, when you show up at camp. Uh, I took uh, 10 or 11 groups to camp, uh, 10 or 11 years straight, whatever it was. And uh, somebody was asking me about some things, and I said, man, I've seen a lot, you know. So uh, things don't surprise me. But I was surprised a little bit when I got there on Thursday uh, when I got there, what I found was exactly what they have just talked to you about this morning. Uh, a group of students that love being together, that were uh, just excited to see our family show up. And I'll share just a quick 10-second uh, testimony. I was in a foul mood on Thursday. Uh, it was at the end of our beach trip, and we had seven kids under the age of seven and a half. And so I don't need to say a lot more about why I was in a foul mood. But we showed up at Camp Caswell, and yeah, you guys get that. And we showed up. And honest to goodness, man, seeing those students and their receptiveness to our family was like a breath of fresh air. And from that point on, it was like God just filled me up and kind of moved me on. And, uh, man, I was just sinking uh, in my own rotten attitude. It was awful. But, uh, but there you have it. Um, but, man, I just want to say I'm so proud of each of you and uh, everything God's doing in your life. I'm proud of Nathan and Jessica and our leaders and those of you who pray for this, these ministries, our children's and our youth ministries. God is doing some awesome things in these ministries right now. And uh, we're going to see in years to come some fruit show up on some trees, uh, if you know what I mean, uh, that God is, is just blessing. And so uh, if you have not received a blessing this morning in this place, it's because uh, you're just, your ears are stopped up or uh, you've fallen asleep or something. This has been great, man. So I appreciate you guys. And I uh, just loved the, the testimonies. That was good. Uh, one final thing to say about that. Um, Jared, where are you? I've never seen anybody look so good in an orange hairnet in my life. Man, you looked great. Man, you showed up in two or three of those pictures, and I thought that's worth the whole video right there. Jared in an orange, in an orange hairnet. I'm just, just uh, kidding. Uh, but let's turn in our Bibles to James chapter 3, and uh, we're going to be looking at Verses 13 through 18 this morning, and the title of my sermon is Two Kinds of Wisdom. Two Kinds of Wisdom. And uh, I was thinking about this question this week. If I could ask God for one thing and one thing only, what would I ask Him for? And I say thing, just generally speaking, not necessarily a material possession. But I want to turn and, and reciprocate that question in your direction. If you could ask God for one thing... And one thing only right now, what would that thing be? There you go. Wisdom, that's a good one. Some of you might say, you know, I'd ask God to, to get rid of this major health problem I have going on in my life that's recurring, it's causing me stress. Some of you say, I'd love for God to repair a broken marriage right now in my marriage or in my neighbor's or my son or daughter's marriage. Some of you would say, I'd love to live near my kids. I don't get to see them all that often. I don't get to watch them grow up. And some of you say, I'd love to be far away from my kids if I could uh, because I see too much of them. But think about the answer to that question. If you could ask God for one thing, what would that thing be? That's the heart of our text this morning. 
If you go back to 1 Kings chapter 3 and 4, I went back and read those two chapters in preparation for this message. Solomon prayed for one thing. What did Solomon ask for? Wisdom. He asked for wisdom and understanding because God set him over the Israelites and immediately he knew, I am in over my head. I'm in over my head. Here's what he said. God, I'm just a little child. I don't know how to go out or to come in. Aren't those simple things, going out and coming in? I mean, we see kids do that in our service. They go out and they come in. That's simple. They know how to do that. But faced with the task of leading God's people, he confessed to God, I am ignorant of how to lead this people. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the understanding that is required of this task. Would you give that to me? And so his request pleased God. And so God gave him what he asked for. In 1 Kings chapter 4, it says Solomon was the wisest man in the world and that kings and people of all nations came to hear his wisdom. Can you imagine the world showing up at your doorstep if God gave you this? And people from different tongues and nations and tribes and languages show up, show up to ask you questions and say, can you help me with this problem I'm facing? Well, roughly 1,000 years later, another descendant of Solomon, James, the brother of Jesus, Reminds us in James 1.5, if we ask God for his wisdom, he will gladly and abundantly give it to us. Listen to James 1 and verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Verse 6 goes on to say this, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let me say this. Receiving God's wisdom is dependent on our willingness to ask God for it. Hear that again. Receiving God's wisdom is dependent, contingent upon your and my willingness to admit to God, I don't have what I need. I need you to fill me up where I lack. Because when you ask for something, here's what it means. You admit to God or someone else that you don't have the thing you need. When you admit that you don't have what you need, it speaks of your awareness of your own inadequacy and your own weakness. So what's the prerequisite to receiving God's wisdom? It's for me to go to God and say, God, I am weak, I am inadequate, I am incapable, I need your help. Lord, I need you, oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. That's what this text is about. Is where do we go to find God's wisdom? Do we go to the world? Do we go to the patterns of this world? Or like Romans 12 says, where we allow ourselves to be transformed by the renewing of our mind in the word of God and receive his wisdom. That's the question before us today. What fountain will you drink from? You see, sadly what happens is we go back to this old dirty fountain to drink old dirty wisdom that we think is going to satisfy and care for our issues. And it does not. And we find out it does not, but we go back to that old fountain and we drink from it instead of going to the fountain of living water and life and saying, God, I'm lacking and I need your help and I pray you would fill me with your wisdom. And James 1.5 says we will receive it. So in this section, what we find is James sets up, uh, if you like the sports metaphor, James throws an alley-oop to himself. You may have seen a a video of something where a guy throws a basketball off the backboard, catches it in the air, and uh, slam dunks it. I've done that um, a few times in my life. No, I've I've never done that. Ever. Ever. 
But if you want to go away from that, James sets his own trap and then he springs it. His trap is in verse 13. He says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. There's a simple question to the church here. James says, who has wisdom? Who has understanding? Now, he's not looking for people to raise their hand. And James, right here, right here, third row, left side, I have wisdom. I have understanding. Bless you. He's not looking for that. He's saying, let him show itself in our daily walk. Where do we see wisdom? Wisdom shows up in the daily walk of a person who applies knowledge to life. Isn't that wisdom? Is there an age requirement for having wisdom? Did it not say that Jesus, as he was growing in all of his humanity, though he was still God, was growing in wisdom and stature? Can we not grow in wisdom from an early age? Have these students not exhibited godly wisdom in their words this morning? And was your heart not stirred by that? I know mine certainly was. I love the J.B. Phillips translation of verse 13. It says, Then your lives will be an example of the humility that is born from true wisdom. The key word is humble or gentle or meek, depending on how your translation gives you the verse. And a big part of getting to the heart of this passage, what is it really saying, is understanding the root of this word, meekness. When I say meekness, you know what many, t- many people do? They take the M and they turn it upside down into the word weakness. And they add an A. I know there's no A in meekness. But they turn the M upside down and meekness to them means weakness. It means effeminacy. It means passivity. It means cowardice. But that's not at all what meekness means. It says that Moses was the meekest man on the earth. Jesus in Matthew 5 elevated meekness to a biblical virtue. He said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So what does meekness really mean? Well, the word in scripture means gentle, humble, mild in dealings with others, pleasant in your manner, not anxiously self-promoting. We can sum it up like this. Meekness is power under control. Meekness is power under control. You don't need to anxiously self-promote and wave your power out in front of everyone to say, look at me, but yet you know what you're capable of and where God has blessed you and where you're not blessed in certain areas and where you lack. And you are under control of the Spirit. That's meekness. John Piper says this, meekness goes against all that our sinful human nature desires. The quietness, the openness, the vulnerability of meekness comes from the supernatural, spiritual help in God. Meekness does not show up by accident in our lives, does it? No, we want to live in our flesh and we want to exert ourselves and anxiously self-promote. And we want to raise our hand and say, look at me, look at what I accomplished. But that's not meekness. Meekness is the spiritual, cultivated characteristic of someone who lingers long in the presence of God. We sang the song this morning, Take Time to Be Holy. And I thought, what a wonderful, fitting song. I didn't even coordinate with Emily on that. The Spirit brought that to bear in this service this morning. Take time to be holy. Linger in His presence. We will not have the wisdom of God if we're not with God in His presence, will we? We will not. And you know what? The world certainly wants to insert its wisdom and its ways into our patterns of thinking. Verse 14 But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition 
in your hearts. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above. It is earthly, watch my hand, earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Did you see that? It is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. James says if you're not filled with God's wisdom, don't lie and boast and be false to what the truth is. Don't pretend that you're something that you're not. You may be well versed in that kind of wisdom that appears right on the surface. That people in the world look at you and think, man, they've got it together. I need to call them up next time that I have an issue. But that's not godly godly wisdom that we have gained. It's the ways and the wisdom of this world. The three descriptors James gives us of worldly wisdom are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. You say, why are you doing that with your hand? Because if you look at the way James describes these, they go from bad to worse to whatever's after worse. Worser, I guess. That's not a word, I don't think. But you're, you're with me. Thank you, Howard. It's a, it's a spiritual staircase that goes down into a dark dungeon of sin and chaos and every part of disorder and instability. Listen to what these three mean. Earthly means to have a purely horizontal perspective. It means when I'm out there on the beach, when I look out over the ocean, and I'm watching my children play, what can I not see? I can't see what's under the water. I can't see what's 60 or 80 yards out in front of me. All I can see is just what's right here in front of me. That's an earthly kind of wisdom. You see it from the horizon line. We see it from down here. But Paul says in Colossians 3, If you've been raised with Christ to set your minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You see, if I continue to look at things from down here on the horizon line, then my wisdom is built on the ways of this world. I don't need a horizontal kind of wisdom, do I? I already have that within me. And it's lacking in itself. What I need is a vertical viewpoint of someone who is looking down and can see things better than I can see them. Who is that? That's the Creator. That's our God. We need His wisdom. In my flesh, I got all the horizontal earthly wisdom and perspective I need. I need God's vertical viewpoint. Secondly, it's described as unspiritual. This source of wisdom, because it's unspiritual, the opposite of that is fleshly. It comes from my attitudes It comes from my prejudices. It comes from my experiences. It comes from my attitudes and my selfish interests. So if I lean on that, what is the result of all of that going to be? The worst version of myself. Have you ever had that happen where you're facing a situation, you're facing a dilemma, and you don't consult God and you go about it in your own way? And when you get to the end of it, you look at the garden that you have reaped, and what do you have? A mess. And you think, why didn't I go to God in the first place? Because that's our tendency is to lean on our flesh. Third is the word demonic. Now the emphasis here is at the bottom. It's on wisdom that stems from philosophy and patterns of thinking that are completely diametrically opposed to God's truth. So much so that it could be endorsed by Satan himself. So when we walk in the wisdom of this world, here's where we go. Please watch me. Good visual. We go further and further down. We're never going to go up. We're never going to ascend the holy hill of the Lord, as the Psalms talk about, when we walk in the wisdom and the ways of this world. What's the result? Verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder 
and every vile practice. You know what the word disorder means? It means instability. It means chaotic frenzy. When you turn on the news, I know they never report things like what we saw at Camp Caswell. They don't report what you saw on my Facebook feed this past week. Thousands of students of Campus Crusade for Christ gathered at our nation's capital for prayer and worship. They're not going to show that. There are good spiritual movements of God happening in this world, rest assured. God is at work. But when you turn on the news, what do they report? They report things that are going on in our world that are unsettling, and they're unstable, and they're chaotic, and it's a frenzy. You say, why? Because people are walking in the flesh, not seeking the wisdom that comes from God. They're seeking wisdom within themselves. James says, wherever you have jealousy and anxious self-promotion, you're going to have chaos. You're going to have divisiveness. I uh, heard a story about a guy that was marooned on a desert island. And he had spent several years there by himself. And when a ship came to rescue him, they put him on board. And they're talking to him for a moment. And they said, uh, they said, hey, tell us about those three huts on the beach there. And he said, well, that first hut, he said, that's where I live. And they said, oh, okay. They said, what about the second hut? He said, that's where I go to church. They said, well, what about the third hut? He said, oh, that's where I used to go to church. The poor guy's in a church divide, in a church breakdown with himself. Because like James says, where there is the absence of godly wisdom, you see disorder and vile practice. And sadly, this is becoming the norm. This is becoming the standard by which we measure things as the wisdom of this world. We see it in homes and churches. We see it everywhere. But the absence of godly spirit-cultivated wisdom leads to bitter jealousy, anxious self-promotion, relational breakdown, chaos, and instability. Again, where does it come from? It comes natural to us because it naturally comes from within us. It comes natural to us because it naturally just comes from within us. You know what people try to do to solve this issue of, of, uh, of their flesh? They don't seek God's wisdom. Their natural tendency is to see how fast and far we can outrun the flesh. Can we outrun our sinful human flesh? If you get mad about something here at this church, I'm going somewhere else. I don't like it here. I don't like the way he said that to me. I don't like the way she looked at me. When you go to the next church, do you know what you're going to find down the road? Same thing, right? Because we, the first moment that a sinful human person walks in these doors, we're not a perfect church. Is this a perfect church? No, it's not. Do we serve a perfect Savior? Yes, we do. Is He sanctifying us in perfection moment by moment as we walk in His presence and we abide in His Word? Yes, He is. We need His wisdom to do that. We have to drink from the right fountain. We can't outrun the flesh. You can try another relationship. Oh, maybe it'll work better next time. It's not going to work because you're taking the same old simple flesh with you. You can try another job. Maybe that boss will treat me better. Maybe not. Try another hobby. Try another toy. Try another neighborhood. But the issue isn't other people. The issue is the flesh within us. What does Proverbs 2 tell us as the solution? Proverbs 2, write this down and read it. Seek God's wisdom like you're seeking hidden treasure. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Verse 17. 
But the wisdom from above is first, first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Here's where we've got to camp out. And we've got to examine every one of these words. Why did James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, put these words in this order? Well, there's a lot of reasons he did. I'm going to give you some of the simple uh, explanations behind some of them. Purity. Why is God's wisdom, first of all, pure? Because it produces purity in our thoughts and in our actions. And as we allow God's wisdom to work on us and in us and through us, it leads us away from the tainted, jealous, self-promoting ways of this world. To a perfect wisdom that is, first of all, pure. What's the second characteristic? It's peaceable. God's wisdom leads to harmony harmony in relationships. It's the opposite of jealousy and self-promotion. So instead of rushing into an argument to exert myself and dominate the situation, if I'm seeking God's wisdom, what do I want to do? I want to seek out ways to live at peace with people. In his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey, who's a Mormon but brings out some wonderful principles here, talks about one of his seven habits is this. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Do you know how much I struggle with this habit in my life? All of you are probably thinking, do you know how much we struggle with this habit in our lives? We all struggle with this in our sinful human flesh. Because when we have a problem, what do we want to do? Look at the other person, grab them by the shirt and say, listen to me. And instead, what we need to do is go to God and say, God, what do I need to do? And he's going to say, just shut your mouth and listen and be patient. We need to seek first to understand and then to be understood. The word gentle that James uses is a good word for yielding. This is somebody who lovingly and willingly says, you go before me. Here's how I think about this. We came to a traffic circle on, on one of the days that I was, uh, the family, out. we were venturing out. We came to a traffic circle. Now, I love traffic circles because they really keep things flowing. I mean, you just keep on going. But what if everybody came to the traffic circle and said, I was here first and I'm going and you're not going to stop me. There's going to be a bunch of accidents in that traffic circle. But you almost never see those. Why? Because when you get there, you know in order for this thing to work right, I've got to yield to the person coming in front of me. That's what gentleness means here, somebody who is yielding. Martin Luther tells the story of two mountain goats that were passing each other on the side of a mountain. And it was a one-lane pass, that was all. And these goats are coming this direction, and they're getting to one another, and they have a couple of options in front of them. They can just slam in each other and, until the weaker one falls off the side of the mountain, and then they go on. But instead, here's what happened. One of the goats lays down in the path and allows the other goat to literally walk on top of him to the other side. The second goat gets up, And they both safely and peacefully go their own way. You say, what if that was our attitude in our marriages, in our homes, in our church, in our youth group when it's 11,000 degrees at camp? What if our attitude was yielding in such a way that we really didn't mind being walked all over for a little bit if it meant the good of the whole group? That's the gentleness that comes as the wisdom of God is infused into our thinking. The next one is open to reason. 
In the Greek, it's one word. It comes from two Greek words that are put together to mean well-persuadable. Somebody who is well-persuadable. I didn't say easily persuaded. I'm not talking about somebody that's a naive pushover. And every time you challenge them a little bit, they... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to upset you. I apologize. That's not what James is talking about. James is talking about someone instead who is teachable and flexible and open to new ideas and change. You're open. You're not immediately shutting down the door and saying, we're not going to have that. What if we'd have done that in some fashion on this trip here and shut down the door of this camp trip? We would not have received the blessing that we did this morning hearing from this group. Have you ever been around somebody whose mindset was this? My mind is made up. Don't confuse me with the facts. You ever been around somebody like that? And they come into a situation predetermined how they're going to operate. They don't care what you say to them. They are just bulldozing down the lane. That's not God's wisdom. That's the wisdom in the ways of the world. James next says, full of good mercy and good fruits. These two things go together. Chuck Swindoll says this. God's wisdom puts mercy to work which abounds in good fruit. It puts mercy to work in our lives which abounds in good fruit. So a compassion is produced in us that acts on behalf of someone around us that needs God's wisdom to be active in their lives. Impartial. Chapter 2, we talked about this. The sin of, of partiality. Someone who doesn't play favorites based on outward appearances. And then sincere. Somebody touched on this a little earlier, I think. But sincere, actually, there's a, a really neat word picture. It speaks of an actor who refuses to wear a mask. An actor who refuses to wear a mask. You say, what in the world does that mean? Well, in the plays in the theater in that day, what would happen is two or three actors would get together to put on a play. And, and if they had ten actors and they made a little bit of money, the cut was much smaller. So two or three actors would get together and they would put on a play. And the way that they changed characters was they would grab a mask and put the mask on and play a part. And they would take the mask off and they put a different mask on and they would play the part. James says God's wisdom helps us to avoid wearing a mask. Instead, it helps us to be who we are all the time, no matter who we're around. We don't wear a mask. So you look at this list and you think, how in the world am I going to accomplish all that? You're not. You don't have to. God's wisdom is not something that we develop on our own. It's spiritually cultivated characteristics that, of a person that lingers long in the presence of God. I've told you I'm reading the D.L. Moody biography, and with seven children in the house, I have about seven pages of reading to my credit from the beach, I think. But I was reading this one section I went back to, and it's where D.L. Moody said this. He was talking about the criticism, the abuse, the mockery he faced and how he would go home and he would retire to his room and just weep at the mockery that he was undergoing in the press and the word on the street. But here's what Moody said. He said, I've made up my mind to keep sweet in my disposition. I've made up my mind to keep sweet in my disposition. For he said this, I cannot do any good unless I keep sweet. That's God's wisdom. I want to be sweet, I want to be gentle, I want to be yielding, I want to be open to reason. I don't want to be hard to get along with and divisive and have my way or the highway. That's the wisdom of the world. If you read the first part of Moody's life, you know that these qualities were not his. He walked in the flesh like we did. But instead, as the Spirit transformed him little bit by little bit, you could see these differences taking place in the life of D.L. Moody. And people began to talk about it. 
Verse 18. I like the, the Phillips translation again. It says, The wise are peacemakers who go on quietly sowing for a harvest of righteousness in other people and themselves. You say, what's the result of walking in the wisdom of God? It is sowing peace in your life and the lives of others. And what do you reap? A harvest of righteousness. All of the characteristics we could sum up in righteousness. And that's what we reap when we sow peace in the lives of others. Some of you probably remember the song. Uh, I had to look up the lyrics, but I knew one line of this song. In 1969, a popular song came out by Frank Sinatra. And he sang about doing it his way. He said, I did it my way. Anybody remember that song? I went and read those lyrics because I thought, you know, that's the complete contrast, the complete antithesis to what God is saying that he wants to see in his children, in his Christians. And here's how Frank Sinatra ends this song. For what is a man and what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Is that not the mantra of the culture that we live in? And not just outside these walls in our sinful human flesh. Since Genesis 3 with the fall, what do we want to look at God and do? We want to shake our little fists in His face and say, God, I want it my way. Well, this ain't Burger King. It's God's way or the world's way. I just wonder sometimes, have we looked around to discover where this has gotten us doing life our way and do we want to keep doing it this way? I thought of an illustration from my beach trip that I thought perfectly summed up the contrast between God's wisdom and between man's. You remember the text in Isaiah 55 that says, God's ways are higher than our ways, and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. This past week I was on the beach, and I was on my third or fourth page that I had accomplished of reading this book uh, with our seven children under the house. And I'm, I'm reading, and I just happen to put my book down, and I look up over the top of one of the children's heads, one of my nephews. I look up over top of Blake's head, and a wave crest and a five-foot shark as long as I am is about 40 or 50 yards past those children. Now, we had seen a shark the day before. Somebody else had seen. When I saw the shark immediately, what did I do? I ran back to the beach house. No, no I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. A thought crossed my mind, but I thought I can't do that. I can't do that. I started screaming. I forgot for a moment. I forgot of anybody else on this beach but these four boys that are in front of me that are 20, 25, 30 yards out in the water. And 40 yards behind them is a shark that will close the gap like that. I start screaming, shark, shark, shark. I run in the water. I grab the first young and I come to. And I jerked him halfway up out of the water. And I start hollering at the other, get out of the water, get out of the water. And so they're coming out of the water as hard and fast as they can. And my heart's just racing. Oh, man, oh, man. And I feel like a hero. I'm excited, man. I saved somebody's life. Well, I go back to the beach house because I needed a mater sandwich after all that. So I go back to the beach house. I'm not kidding. I fixed me a tomato sandwich with Duke's mayonnaise. There is no other. Fix me a tomato sandwich. I'm enjoying this thing, and I get a, a, a message on my phone from my friend Scott that was here last week. He happened to be vacationing, same place, same island, same week with his family. He says, hey man, just wanted to let you know 
that I'm up here on the pier and we're fishing. And there's another fisherman over here beside me who just spotted an 8 to 10 foot shark out in the water near where your boys were at. He said, you might want to stay out of the water. We didn't touch anything below or above the ankle for the rest of the week, I can assure you. And I thought about that simple situation. It hit me just as clear God said, use that for the end of your sermon. Because here's what we do so often. We look at the world from a horizontal perspective. And we want to see things from where we are. And we think, I've got the perfect vantage point. But let me tell you something. Five and a half feet person standing on the beach cannot see a ten foot shark out in the water that's coming that direction. But that man up on that pier who is up higher than me, he is in an elevated position from how I'm standing. He can see everything that's going on right around me. He actually went on to say we saw the 8 to 10 footer and we saw the 5 footer you saw right up under the pier tearing up some chum thrashing in the water. See, here's the question. Am I going to go in the water myself because, oh, the coast looks clear from my vantage point? Or am I going to listen to somebody who is much higher than I am? You see where I'm going with this. Am I going to do life my way? Am I going to try to solve my problems and my issues and my concerns with my wisdom and seeking the ways of this world? Or am I going to quietly, in meekness of wisdom, go before God and say, I really need your help. I don't know what to do. I'm like a child. I can't go in. I can't go out. I need you to give me your wisdom. I started out the sermon by asking you this question. What one thing would you ask God for if He would give it to you this moment? What would you want? Let me ask this question. What one thing do you need from God this moment in your life right now? It's His wisdom. It's His wisdom. There's two kinds. God's wisdom and the world's wisdom. Which one, which fountain will you drink from? That's the question before you this morning. So here's how we're going to close the service. Before our time of invitation, I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And I want you to think of only one situation, only one situation in your life. There may be 15. One situation where you need the wisdom of God to help you to know the path you need to be on. And ask Him in the spirit of James 1.5 to give you that wisdom and ask it right now. Just you and God do that right now.